0: Why do soldiers miss war? That's the question that fascinated author Sebastian Traeger. He had been embedded in the army, uh, in an army combat unit in the Korangal Valley in Afghanistan, uh, the most deadly place on earth in 2007-2008, for three months. And he was shocked to find that the soldiers who returned home They actually missed being there. As one soldier, Derek Winters, shared, what in the world am I supposed to do now? As a Washington Post article highlights, when Derek Winters was medically discharged from the army, he lost his income, his sense of purpose, his self-esteem, and 15 of his closest friends in a platoon they called the Brotherhood. Uh, It continues that what this soldier missed about Afghanistan, what the the soldiers missed about Afghanistan, were not the mortars that dropped down on them each night, or the IEDs that ripped through Humvees, or the 110 degree heat, or the fleas, or tarantulas that shared the dusty shack they called an outpost. What he missed were the soldiers, Dodd, Vance, Pinchok, Craghead, and all the others, the men he fought for and fought with. You see, it's not that they miss the death or sorrow or loss, but the companionship. Uh, They miss the I've got your six mentality, the shared purpose, the shared culture. Uh, Yes, even the shared suffering. And they longed for these things again. What if there were a great purpose to which indeed we are all called? in which there is a great battle raging, companionship offered, love and devotion expressed. If corporate America didn't provide the camaraderie that these vets were looking for, is there another company of souls who might offer us the belonging and purpose that all of us desire? This morning we conclude our series in the book of Colossians, so let me encourage you to turn to Colossians chapter 4 now. In chapters 1 and 2, the Apostle Paul laid out the glories and excellencies of Christ. He reveled in all that Christ had accomplished for the Colossian Christians, for all believers. Uh, The Lord Jesus is the creator of the world, and he's also the one who has begun a new creation through his death and resurrection through his substitutionary death, suffering in our place, and then from his rising in, again uh, from the grave. The result is that we are full in him and don't need to rely on asceticism or man-made religion to make us right with God, because we have Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4, Paul turned practical, right, about how to put off sin and how to put on righteousness. Righteousness. Uh, Last week, we saw how Christians are to pray and speak, suffer, and live for gospel advance. Uh, And this morning, we come to his the Apostle Paul's concluding words in verses 7 to 18. So, you know, this is a final greetings is my ESV heading. That's that's a great summary of what's going on. Uh, It's kind of a grab bag of of various items. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at 13 observations. Uh, 13 observations, But these will be brief, I promise. Uh, And what we're going to do is we're going to use them kind of as a diagnostic test, as it were. Uh, We're going to use it to evaluate our community, our church. We're going to look at 13 marks of a Christian community living together on mission. 13 marks of a Christian community living on mission. So with that in mind, look with me at Colossians 4, beginning in verse 7. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. Well, our first observation is entitled, Beloved. Beloved. Perhaps the most noticeable aspect of this passage is not something explicit per se, but it is the tone that the apostle writes with. Uh, it's the warmth and affection and sincere appreciation. Uh, you, come, you see that, right? And it comes out when Paul refers to Tychicus as a beloved brother. Onesimus is a beloved brother. Luke, a beloved physician. Uh, in verse 8, Tychicus will encourage your hearts. And in verse 11, Paul says, these co-laborers have been a comfort to me. Uh, this is similar to how the apostle Paul had described Epaphras in chapter 1 as a beloved brother. To be clear, when Paul says these are beloved, he means that he is the one who loves them. He's not actually saying beloved by God. I'm sure they are. But he's saying, I love them. They are my beloved brothers. You see, for Paul, the foundation and primary mark of any Christian community must be love for one another. And yet the reason Christians love one another is just that our love is not the original love. That's what we read about earlier, what Ashley read from 1 John, right? That 1 John 4, 7, love is from God. We give love because we have received love. So when a Christian community, when the church is marked by love, it isn't because Christians are just such swell people. It's not because we just have a sunny disposition. We fail to see the flaws in other people. We're generally optimistic. It's not as if we ourselves don't fail. Well, no, Christian communities are ones where we are called to reflect the love that has transformed us. So the love of God comes down first in the person of God's Son, in the Incarnation, When Jesus lives the perfect life, dies on the cross, and rises from the grave, he demonstrates perfect love. Well, then, of course, he ascends to heaven, and you say, well, Scott, where's the love of God at? Well, now the love of God has come down in the person of the Holy Spirit. Now he dwells in us. Now he works through us and transforms us from the inside out. Um, And I think this ordering of love, that first we receive love and then we give love, is really important, and it's easy to mix up. I mixed it up recently. Um, When when I put our kiddos to bed, we try to to read and pray and sing. And so we were praying, and I I just kept praying just kind of many nights. uh, God, help us to love you more and help us to love each other more. That's obviously a good prayer. But I realized it was kind of missing the first half of the story. So it should have been, God, help us to know your love more. And then show that. Because we're never going to be able to produce the love in and of ourselves. We're never going to be able to conjure it up based on how lovely this other person is or just how loving I am. Now, in the church, if we are to be beloved brothers and sisters, it must be the God of love living in and through us. We want to know his love greater that we might show it more fully. If you are growing cold in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, it might be because you're growing cold in your affection for the Lord. If you're growing cold in your love for the Lord, it might be because you've forgotten his love for you. So friends, I've been super encouraged this past year how new people have joined. And I, you know, it'd be easy to just like say, oh, praise God, numbers are up. Most of all, we wanna grow in love. We want to grow in a sincere affection leading to sacrificial action because that's the kind of regard that Christ has for us. He loves us, and then we show that to others. Um, let me just give a, a brief aside here for male friendships. I think our third or fourth point is going to talk about how men and women are co-laborers in the gospel. But here it is interesting that the Apostle Paul, he notes his, his missionary crew are all men. Uh, In Romans 16, we're going to see in a moment, he lists tons of women, and he commends the women actually more than he commends the men in Romans 16. Uh, But here in Colossians 1, uh, do you notice that Paul refers to four people as beloved? Epaphras from chapter 1, Tychicus, Onesimus, and Luke. In our society, uh, it would be odd for a man to speak this way, wouldn't it? Yet the Apostle Paul feels no embarrassment, expressing his admiration and his affection, his love for these other guys. Uh, Of course, sisters, you are called to the same kind of love for your sisters, obviously. We're all called as the family of God to love one another. Uh, But let me just ask the men here. When was the last time you told another guy that you loved him? and a family member doesn't count. Right? I mean, look, I I can admit, this makes me a bit uncomfortable too. But guys, like, we're either biblical or we're not. Right? We're like, we preach the Bible. Yeah, but do we live it? Like, if you're not telling other brothers and sisters, if you're not telling other sisters, I love you. I just praise God for you. You are such a blessing. I love you. Like, we're not as biblical as we think we are. How do we get to the point as men and women to genuinely love our brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, well, to simply take the beloved physician Luke as an example, let me suggest two kind of prerequisites. To loving someone, prerequisites probably isn't the right word. Maybe the soil in which love grows. Uh, two, pre- two soil types, something like that. Ingredients in the soil. Uh, time together and unity of purpose. Time together And unity of purpose. Uh, We don't have time right now, but if you go look in the book of Acts at the time together and the unity of purpose between Paul and Luke, I think you see why Paul would refer to him as the beloved physician. All right, the second mark of a Christian community is living on mission as family. Uh, We we notice that throughout the passage, right? Tychicus, a beloved brother, also Onesimus. Verse 15 refers to the brothers, and really it's brothers and sisters, at Laodicea. Um, You see, fundamental to the reason we love one another is because we've been adopted into the same heavenly family. God is our father, Christ our elder brother. We're all indwelt by the same spirit. And so it is that we live now as a family. Uh, The fact that we're family, well, it informs the, the rest of our passage that we are willing to forgive and be reconciled. It's because we're a family that we warn and grieve. We admonish and instruct. It's because we're a family that we work hard together and even suffer together in advancing the cause of Christ. So, friend, if you're here this morning and you call yourself a Christian, uh, how are you loving and linking up with and supporting and being supported by fellow believers? The New Testament has just, no category for Lone Ranger Christians. Uh, If you're a Christian, if you've been adopted by God, you've got brothers and sisters now. And so it's appropriate that we would love one another and live together as the family of God. A third mark of a Christian community living on mission is men and women serving the Lord. Men and women serving the Lord. Now, again, when Paul lists his fellow workers, there are only men listed initially. Uh, But in verse 15, we read of Nympha and the church in her house. Uh, Apparently, Nympha must have had some degree of wealth to be the patron and host of the church, uh, either in Colossae or nearby. Uh, And in Romans 16, we learn even more about Paul's uh, female co-laborers in the gospel. So in Romans 16, he says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Cancria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever may, way she may need from you, for she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life and to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epe Natus, who is the first convert to Christ in Asia, greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. If we are to serve the Lord, it must be men and women working together to advance the cause of Christ. It will require, require the giftings of men and women. You recall in 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul made the point that the body is made up of many members, and any one part of the body can't say to the other part, I don't need you. Well, that's what the church is like. Uh, Different ages, different genders, different backgrounds. Uh, All of us bring unique experiences and wisdom and giftings, and we're called to offer that to the Lord. Uh, We need men and women serving Christ, bringing their unique gifts and abilities, and strengths, and experience, experiences, and wisdom to this task. Uh, so, men, use your strength and energy to serve the Lord. I show up early to set up chairs, stay late to talk to visitors, get to know the children in the congregation, serve in child care, uh, bring meals to needy saints, give rides to those who need them, share the gospel with your neighbors, read the Bible with church members, Honor your sisters in Christ. Serve the Lord. We need you, men. And ladies, use your love and warmth to serve the church. Befriend the stranger. Pray for your pastors. Teach the kids class before service. Teach the Bible to those interested. Be hospitable. Counsel the weeping. Encourage the faint-hearted. Point to Christ and walk in holiness. Ladies, we need you if we are to together advance the gospel in Bedford and to the ends of the earth, it will only be if men and women are working together uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ for this great cause. Uh, the fourth mark of a Christian community living on mission is serving the Lord together. Um, now this was, you know, it's kind of the whole passage. Uh, but, but what I mean in particular here Is serving the Lord in whatever task he assigns. Uh, For example, we know from chapter one that God had called Epaphras to the job of starting the church in Colossae. We don't know if Epaphras set out to do that per se, but God was pleased through Epaphras' preaching to begin the congregation there. Uh, Now, Tychicus was about to bring Paul's letter back to Colossae. God had called Aristarchus to imprisonment with Paul. Luke was their physician. Epaphras gave himself to prayer. We don't know the ways the Lord will call us, but we can be sure that whatever ministry the Lord does entrust to us, we should be faithful in it. I love what verse 13 says about Epaphras. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hierapolis. Uh, you see, serving the Lord involves hard work. Serving other people involves hard work. Trinity Church of Bedford, I praise God for how hard you have worked for the past 16 months, uh, and even before that. I praise God for how you have diligently put your hand to the plow to serve Christ. I uh, praise God for the Batco's consistency and joy in serving on the setup team. Praise God for the Carton's hospitality, the Chaffee's servant heart's, the Eob's encouragement, the Taylor's wisdom, the Wyland's zeal. Uh, what a joy recently to have the Bassets inviting people over and building relationships. Uh, praise God for Joey, even now, sitting and serving and beginning a safety team. Brothers and sisters, let's continue working hard for one another, for Christ and the gospel's advance. All right, what's, what's our, what, our fifth one, the fifth mark of a Christian community living on mission We're on number five, right? All right, getting the head nods. I rearranged these. Number five, uh, the fifth mark of a Christian community living on mission is socioeconomic diversity. Now, that's a modern word, Uh, but look at verse nine. There, Paul writes of Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother. Why is that significant? Well, it's because Onesimus is a slave. We know that from the book of Philemon. But here's what's really interesting. Look at verse uh, 7. Paul calls Tychicus, who's a a free man, a fellow slave. Literally, that's what that that, uh, word is. A fellow servant, a fellow slave in the Lord. In verse 12, he calls Epaphras, who's a free man, a slave of Christ Jesus. Or a servant, but literally a slave of Christ Jesus. Okay, so he calls the two free men slaves. But what does he call Onesimus, the slave? He calls him a beloved and faithful brother. Why doesn't he call attention to it? He's a slave of Christ too. Surely he is if he's a Christian. But Paul wants the Colossian Christians to know that Onesimus' spiritual status of brother is way more important than his earthly status, his humanly status of slave. If you're a free person and you're a Christian, you are a slave of Christ. And if you are a slave, but you are a Christian, the lowest class of people in ancient Rome, you are free in Christ. As we saw a few weeks ago in the Church of Colossae, they were masters and slaves, We know from the book of Acts that there were wealthy Christians like Lydia, and there were destitute ones like those in Jerusalem. You see, the gospel is for the rich and the poor, the powerful and the oppressed. Uh, As a church, we never want anyone to feel unwelcome or rejected simply because of the clothes they wear or the accent they have or the education they do or do not have. Uh, Because of Christ, now we are all one and unified in him. The sixth mark of a Christian community on mission is found in verse 10, entitled, Embrace Suffering. We covered this last week and in previous weeks, so we won't spend a ton of time here, but just notice how verse 10 begins. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And then, of course, Paul ends by saying, remember my chains. The point is, Christian, don't be ashamed of the gospel and don't be ashamed of suffering for the gospel. Don't abandon Christ when the going gets tough. Uh, Instead, rejoice that in these moments, this light momentary affliction is preparing for you an eternal weight of glory. Uh, You can count it as joy when you face trials of various kinds. Knowing that the Lord in that moment is refining your faith. Strengthening you for the day of Christ. We can rejoice and be glad when we're persecuted, for great will be our reward in heaven. Number seven, Mark number seven, is the necessity of reconciliation in the Christian community. You see that in the second half of verse 10. Paul writes, uh, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark The cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, if the only thing we knew about Mark, if this was the only thing, it really wouldn't be much to talk about. But in the book of Acts, we learned that Mark was with Paul on the apostles' first missionary journey. He was a co laborer with Paul. Uh, But then Mark set off back home. We're not told why. And later, when uh, Paul and Barnabas are going back out, Barnabas is like, hey, let's take my cousin Mark. And Paul's like, "Nah." uh And there is this discord and this fracture that happens between Barnabas and Mark and Paul. And they separate. Uh, they don't even work together anymore. And so if you only had the book of Acts, you might assume that Paul and Mark stayed at loggerheads. But here in Colossians 4.10, we see that the situation Has changed. Now, Paul tells the Colossians to receive Mark. Paul doesn't want him turned away, but welcomed. This reminds us that in the church, there will be relational challenges. We will sin against each other. What makes the church special isn't that we are perfect, no, we are sinners, just like every other organization or society. But the church is not just a company of sinners, it's a company of forgiven and repentant sinners. That is, to be a Christian, to be in the church, it's to recognize that you have sinned against God in serious and egregious ways. And yet, because of his great love, he offers us full pardon. He's welcomed us into his family. And thus, when people sin against us, we have an example of how to respond Though forgiveness may be difficult and consequences may remain, Christians are those who seek reconciliation. Uh, we may not always be able to achieve that. Pursuing unity does not always mean the accomplishment of it. Uh, but as Christians, we should lean in and pursue reconciliation. Reconciliation. Uh, So let me just be very clear, if you're new here at Trinity, we're so glad that you've been joining us for today or however long perhaps you've been here. Uh, We just want to be really clear up front that we are not a perfect church. And not just in vague ways, but in like, we will sin against you kind of ways. Like we'll miss a meeting that we said we were going to do. Somebody will say hurtful words that you would not expect. You'll be upset by something that you think is totally inappropriate or unkind or harsh. I don't say this because, of course, we would want to do any of those things. Um, But it's important to us to acknowledge this certainty, not just the possibility, but the certainty of it, and that we do that at the front end so that when the offense comes, we aren't taken off guard, right? Uh, it's not like our illusion is just shattered because we thought, man, this was a perfect church or, or so-and-so, they would just, they're so godly, they're so wonderful, they would never sin against me. Oh, friends, the sad reality is until Christ returns, we are all sinners. We will, all of us, be required to pursue reconciliation at various times. If you insist on only joining perfect churches or only having perfect friends, you will never be able to stay very long or form meaningful relationships. You might find a church or an individual you like. You'll get excited that you finally have found someone or some group of people that have it together, uh, but then a problem will arise. In moments like this, let's like let's be like the Apostle Paul and Mark. Let's pursue unity and reconciliation. It's related to our eighth mark uh, for the Christian community living on mission, and that's ethnic unity. We see that in verse 11. Referring to the names he had just listed, Paul writes, These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Here, Paul demonstrates that he has Jewish and Gentile co-laborers. And uh, this would have been incredible because the Jews and Gentiles were at loggerheads for hundreds of years prior to the advent of Christ. But now, Christ was reconciling them and bringing them together. Uh, And of course, while ethnic diversity is something that American society celebrates as a seeming unalloyed good, uh, the truth is that it can be hard, right? Uh, Just think of Jewish Peter, refusing to eat with his Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ in Galatians 2. Uh, Think of the ancient Israelites who grumbled against Moses in Numbers 12 for marrying a darker-skinned woman. Uh, Consider how many Jewish false teachers in Paul's day insisted that Gentiles had to become like Jews, not just like Jews, they had to become Jews, before they became Christians. Yet, beloved, in true Christian community, we're we're not united by any particular ethnic background or nationality or upbringing or anything like that. Uh, The banner of Christ waves higher than ethnicity, nationality, or culture. And so, Christian, are all your friendships with people who look like you, or do you have relationships with people that are based fundamentally on Christ? Uh, Of course, it's great, it's it's good, praise God for relationships with people who just get us, right? Maybe they have a similar background or upbringing, similar experiences in life, maybe similar stage of life, Uh, great, praise God, those are wonderful, Uh, But how much poorer we are when we refuse to go outside of our comfort zones and befriend other believers and build relationships in the body of Christ who are quite different from us, right? It's been so encouraging getting to know Andre and Ramez and Margaret who were born abroad, lived abroad. Uh, What a joy recently to have Joshua and Michelle worshiping with us. And of course, you know, growing up in Minneapolis or Alabama or Oregon, Uh, Is plenty different than Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, All of us have different backgrounds, and together what unites us is not like, oh wow, we, you know, we all just have so much in common. No, what unites us is Christ. Then we will indeed be a countercultural community. The ninth mark of a Christian community on mission is found in verse 12. It's that we are prayerful. Uh, Last week we considered how, as a congregation, Uh, We're called to to busy ourselves and continue steadfastly in prayer. Uh, Today, however, Epaphras models for us personal prayer. You see that in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. Oh, to have a friend like Epaphras. To have a friend who will constantly bring you before the throne of grace, praying for your blessing and growth in holiness. Uh, notice that Epaphras isn't praying for circumstances per se uh, in people's lives, as appropriate as that is. More than that, he prays for the spiritual growth of these other believers. He wants them to grow in maturity, in the full awareness and assurance of God's will. Beloved, do you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Uh, Do you struggle on behalf of others? Or do you basically pray only for yourself? Uh, Maybe you might throw family members in there. Uh, Beloved, Epaphras models for us praying for other saints. That's why we have those membership directories. Uh, I think Stephen has them. Maybe. Yes, he does. Um, That's why why we hand those out. uh, To encourage you to pray for particular people to know the brothers and sisters you've covenanted with, to love them and serve them as you pray for them. And yet, praise God, there is a friend even more faithful than Epaphras. For it is the Lord Jesus Christ who is our sympathetic high priest who always lives to intercede for us. Uh, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he regularly and constantly prays for our strength in temptation and endurance in the fight of faith. Uh, he intercedes for us and will continue to until we do stand mature on the last day. Uh, So great is his love for us that not only does he he struggle for us in prayer, but he struggled for us dying on the cross to make us holy even as he is. The eternal son of God took on human form, lived a perfect human life. He died on the cross as our substitute in bearing our wrath. He then rose from the grave three days later. He then ascended to the Father where now he is waiting to return when Judgment Day indeed will draw near and we will be with the Lord. Even now he prays for us that we would be mature in him. And thus when we pray, we join Christ, we become Christ's co-laborers, working for the upbuilding and maturity of fellow believers. Our 10th observation of a Christian community on mission Is warning. It's warning. In verse 14, we read: Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. We don't have the full time to get into Demas' story here, uh, but he shows up in two other places in the New Testament. In Philemon, he's called Paul's fellow worker. He shows up to the same at the end of one of these lists. But then in 2 Timothy 4.10, Paul writes to Timothy, Paul's last known letters, uh, words, in the last, his concluding thoughts to Timothy, he tells his son of the faith, Faith, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Friends, you know it's possible to be in the Apostle Paul's ministry team to be in the highest levels of Christian service and end up abandoning the faith. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. There were only a few years between the writing of Colossians and 2 Timothy, it's interesting that Paul doesn't include any other description of Demas, any other positive description. In you know, Luke, the beloved physician, uh, Jesus, who's called Justice, Aristarchus, I mean, he, d- he just says Demas. Did Paul perhaps know something was amiss? What secret sins was Demas already hiding? What worldly loves was slowly choking out his love for Christ? Uh, This morning, do you claim to follow Christ? Uh, If so, I plead with you not to coast. Don't assume that you will make it home. Yes, Christ will indeed hold us fast, but he holds us fast as we cling to him. When you find your love and attention and affection drawn to the things of this world, don't hide them from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Confess them. Bring them to each other. Repent of them. And may God spare each one of us from going the way of Demas. Our passage concludes with two final commands for the church in Colossae before Paul's benediction. The 11th mark of a Christian community living on mission is cooperation with other churches. You See that in verse 15. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, to Nympha and the church in her house, In short, Paul didn't want these Colossian Christians just obsessed and insular, thinking about their own little congregation. He wanted them to have fellowship and support and encouragement with the churches around them. Uh, That's the point our historic creed was making this morning, about how churches can work together to love and support one another. And of course, here at Trinity, we are major recipients of that kind of love, aren't we? Uh, This church started 16 months ago because Christians in Cambridge and Christians in Belmont, Hope Fellowship Church and Beacon Community Church said, let's start a church in Bedford. And by the grace of God, here we are. Um, this is why we pray for other local churches in our pastoral prayer, right? Uh, we'll often reach out to them and get to know maybe prayer requests or we'll have fellowship with them. We understand that we're about Christ's kingdom, not Trinity's little fiefdom, right? So Trinity probably has an expiration on date, date on it, right? I hope it's like a 500-year church, but it's probably just not like churches come and go. But Christ's kingdom endures to the end. And so we want to be supporting not just this local church, of course, we want to be supporting other churches in their work. So our 12th and second to last observation is found in verse 16. A Christian community living on mission is committed to apostolic teaching. Uh, Like so many of these points, we could drill down here all day. But we read, and when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, so that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Uh, You see, as Christians, we serve the Lord as we gather around his word. There's no unity, there's no mission apart from the apostolic instruction. And the reason we take seriously the apostolic instruction is because all scripture is breathed out by God. So on the one hand, Paul wrote Colossians. In a much deeper sense, it was the Holy Spirit who inspired Colossians. It is God who addresses us in His Word. If this church ever stops preaching God's Word, if Trinity Church of Bedford ever stops proclaiming the Bible, you should leave this church quickly or try to change it, and then if that doesn't work, leave. If Sunday sermons come to be more about the preacher's opinions than God's word, you should find a new church. For it is a church in name only that does not devote itself to all of the Bible. And so we come to our final observation this morning in verse 18. What undergirds and supports and motivates and empowers this entire Christian community? Uh, Consider Paul's last sentence. Grace, grace be with you. Did you know that Paul begins every single one of his 13 letters with the uh, greeting, grace and peace to you? And he ends, I didn't know this before, like this morning at 1 a.m. He ends every single letter, except one, with grace to you. He begins everyone with grace and he ends almost everyone with grace. With grace be to you. It's like Paul is trying to tell us something. It's as if there's an emphasis here which we need to not miss. So here it is in Colossians. He begins in the second verse of the letter, grace to you and peace. And now he ends his very last words with grace be to you. Beloved, as we conclude our series in the book of Colossians, if there's one thing you take away, let it be this. The main verb in the Christian life is not do, but give thanks. Give thanks because the Christian message is one of grace. Of how we can have all our sins forgiven. Of how we can be transferred from the, kingdom, the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Of how we can receive new life through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, of how we can walk in wisdom in Christ because all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are stored up in Him. It's all because of grace, God's undeserved kindness. Christian, do you struggle with the sense that you are not good enough? Do you feel like you're letting God down? Like you need to improve your standing with Christ through your good works? Oh, Christian, remember grace and give thanks. Friend, are you here this morning wondering if this Christian message could really be for you? Uh, You wonder if God's grace could really be greater than all your sin. You wonder if God's grace can perhaps cover cover other people's sins, but not yours. Oh, if you knew the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do not stand far off from him thinking you are unworthy to receive his grace. Uh, That's the very point of grace. Do not say, I cannot receive grace. I cannot come to Christ for I am unworthy of that. No, does a sick man say, I am sick. I must get better. Then I will call the doctor. Or a hungry person. I am starved. I must get full. Then I will eat. My friend, if you feel your need of Christ and of grace, that is exactly where you want to be. Beloved, as we serve the Lord together, our confidence does not lie in our moral rectitude or our unbounded energy. It lies in grace. The same grace that saved us is the grace that will sustain us. The same grace we beheld when we first came to Christ is the same grace we need to serve him today. Let's pray. Lord God, you know our need for such grace. We need your forgiving grace every day. And we need your empowering grace every day. Oh Lord, we pray that you would help us. Help us to minister the gospel well to the ends of the earth. To live together in love because of grace. We pray this all in Christ's name and for his glory. Amen.